Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Thanks so much for listening to this special feed, The Sound of Pride, Stonewall at 50. I'm Tobin Lowe, co-host of Nancy. If you like what you hear, you can find more coverage from WNYC by visiting wnyc.org stonewall50. And if you love these episodes as much as we do, we encourage you to subscribe to all of these great podcasts and share your favorites with your friends. Okay, Kath, what is up next? Up next, an episode from Death, Sex, and Money. Being away from home and just experiencing new things and making myself do things I was uncomfortable with, I would have to believe made it easier to come to these realizations about myself. This is Death, Sex, and Money. Don't kill him. I'm not going to kill him. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. Bonus time is just around the corner. And need to talk about more. I think maybe you're honest. And 50 other lines to get into a girl's pants. I'm Anna Sale. When I first met Katie Haney, she was 27 years old and totally freaked out about dating. The points that stress me out are everything up to the date, and then, like, towards the end where I start worrying about, like, are we going to kiss each other? I can't tell what this guy thinks. You know, how are we going to decide whether we want to do this again? This was exhausting. I want to go home. (laughs) This was two years ago. She just published a memoir called Never Have I Ever, My Life So Far Without a Date. And she'd recently left her hometown to work for BuzzFeed in New York City. So you moved from Minnesota to New York City. Yes. And what's, like, what is different? Can I, can I say a swear word? Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so people don't say, people don't say fucking for sex at home. That people <laughs> do not do that. And so the first time that I heard someone be like, yeah, this guy I'm fucking, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, like, I have this, and I'm not religious. I'm not conservative. Like, I, I swear all the time. But it just, I just was a little bit, you know, that little knee-jerk former Catholic schoolgirl thing where I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm just from the Midwest. I don't talk like this. And now you have a, a book out, and now you're having to talk to strangers about it face-to-face. Mm-hmm. So you don't. You don't talk about sex very much. Mm-mm. Well, it hasn't. It wasn't really applicable <laughs> in your life. Yeah. Oh, are you still a virgin? Yes. How does it feel to talk about that publicly at twenty seven? I don't. I don't like it. I really don't like it. Um, and I, I also hate that I don't like it because that feels like conceding that it bothers me and that I am susceptible to the opinions of others, but I am. I try not to be, and I think in a lot of areas I succeed. But I also feel like since the time frame of the book has ended, I've, you know, dated a little bit more where I feel like, well, I'm not so inept as maybe I worried. What what taught you that? Walk me through that. You know, hanging out with people and realizing that I can spend a pretty substantial chunk of time with them and be able to just have it be normal. Just being like, I can I can make myself stand still at the end of the date 
and kiss this person and not accidentally run away because I'm worried about what might happen like I might have done in the past. Like, when I want it badly enough, I can, you know, like, really steal myself and just be like, don't freak out. Just stay still. Kiss them. Just do it. And... um. I love that being aggressive is, is I can stand still. (laughs) You know, baby steps. That's so weird. (laughs) This is Katie more than two years later. Like, as I hear it, it's very weird because it feels like me, but also like someone I used to know. She came in to give me an update. Now, I hear that and I hear myself talk about all the fear and like the dread and making myself and I'm just like oh you don't have to feel that way Katie's lived in New York three years now she's become a senior editor at BuzzFeed and her hair that was dark brown is now platinum blonde when you think back to when we talked before it was January of 2014 Uh What what do you remember about what was going on in your life and how you were feeling? Um, I feel like I was a little bit miserable. <laughs> I was still adjusting to living in New York and did not realize that I had at least a year of adjusting to New York left to do. So I think it was that was a hard winter. <laughs> what happened in that year that made you feel that sadness? I think that I just wore myself out worrying in a way. I had a hard time with anxiety that year. I think I dated very like briefly in the beginning of that year and and it ended in a way that was like completely out of my hands um, where I just felt abandoned and just really pissed. Like I was so so angry. I just felt so confused about what I was doing, quote unquote, wrong or why. I I don't know. I just felt like I was really desperate for advice that year and like kind of turning to all these friends and, you know, horoscopes and (laughs) bullshit like that and being like, what am I supposed to be doing. Like I I wrote this book where I say you should be yourself. You shouldn't feel bad about being single and I felt bad about being single and I felt bad about being myself. It's funny that you mentioned horoscopes because I when I think about my first year and a half in New York, I think of all of the psychics and all of the like horoscopes and all of the grasping at straws to mm-hmm. find groundedness. Mm-hmm because my life was going undergoing a lot of change, too. Um, do you still read horoscopes? No, I gave them up. <laughs> I had to give them up. <laughs> I eventually realized that looking up my horoscope gave me more anxiety than it erased. Like, it just, because it, you know, it'll be like, well, these are your most romantic days all month, these are your luckiest days all month. You're going to have this great career thing. And it's like, well, none of that happened. (laughs) Pretty much everything is the same. So I just don't need that on me. Like, I would rather just take personal responsibility. Coming up, Katie describes her dating life now. 
I feel like I end up saying queer more than most things, or like gay. I don't know. Like my girlfriend doesn't say lesbian that much, or we only say lesbian when we're like. Carnegie Hall has welcomed a dizzying array of performers. To have Andy Kaufman, Frank Zappa, and Birkett Nielsen and Horowitz on the same stage, it becomes this kaleidoscope of our history. I'm Jessica Vosk. Join me for the new podcast, If This Hall Could Talk. It's all about our unique cultural history, as witnessed by one of New York's most beloved institutions, Carnegie Hall. Listen now, wherever you get podcasts. Walking down the street and we see other lesbians and we're like, lesbians. <laughs> <laughs> this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. Katie Haney published her second book this year. It's called Dear Emma, and it's about a dating advice columnist in the Midwest. For this one, Katie didn't have to confess the details of her dating life, like in her memoir. This one's fiction. Yeah. I needed a break from myself. When did you realize that you might be interested in dating a woman? I think, I mean, the truth is that I had curiosity about it for a while, but it was always in, like, waves. I'm so neurotic that I would sort of, like, get in these um, mental tailspins where I'd be, like, obsessed with the idea for, like, a week. And then something would happen, and I would just kind of give it up entirely. Like, I'd be like, oh, well, yes, I do think, I don't know, like Zac Efron or somebody. <laughs> I do think he's hot, so I guess that that means there's nothing else going on. <laughs> or I would think, well, I don't want to act on this unless I'm 100% sure because I don't want to hurt anybody else or I don't I don't want to claim something that isn't mine to claim. So I think that that kept me from doing anything for a long time. And then, I don't know, something last year – just, I feel like there was this sort of like, you know, those um, meters, like when you're doing a strength test at a carnival, mm -hmm. <laughs> I felt like it was like inching up towards the top. And then finally it just kind of like hit the full other side. Hit the bell. Yeah. I remember being on the subway and looking around at all the guys <laughs> And being like, I don't want to date any of you. Like, I just don't. I don't want this. And I felt like my the attraction, like, fell out of my body. <laughs> and it sounds, like, so dramatic. But I think it was enough of a sense that I just thought I should finally actually commit to the idea and, like, put myself out there in a real way. What did it mean to decide to put yourself out there? Oh, go on, stupid old okay, Cupid. I messaged my girlfriend like four days after being on it, so. Really? Yeah. Was she the first woman you dated? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a whole other thing to, like, worry about. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's beginner's luck. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you feel clumsy on your first date with your girlfriend? No. Um, I was nervous, but I was excited. 
And I was excited in a way that I had not ever been for a first date with a guy. Hmm. And I had a feeling beforehand that I was going to like her. Um, she had a really good profile. <laughs> and she texted me back so quickly. <laughs> and I really liked that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we, no, it was pretty easy. I mean, there was still, like, the thing of when she came in, like, do we, you know, shake hands or, like, I think she would have, she, I went in to hug her and later she told me that that was, like, awful because she hates hugging someone she doesn't know. And I'm, you know, like, five inches taller than she is, so it's, it was a little tricky. But um, besides just the general sort of, like, awkwardness or nervousness, I just wasn't, I didn't feel uncomfortable to my core in a way that I had in the past. What did you notice about her profile that you liked? She talked about having written Harry Potter fan fiction in which all the girls were gay. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Was she more practiced in dating women than you? Yeah, she's been out since she was 14. So I, you know, I think early on that made me nervous, but she never made me feel, you know, weird or wrong or too late or anything like that. Um, it never has really been... I mean, it's only been an issue in the sense that I, I you know, I envy in some ways her past just just in the sense of, I think, having the experience to know what she wants or doesn't want through relationships. But also, you know, she envies me, my history of no terrible shitty exes. So <laughs> I think it's a little bit of a grass is greener situation. Was there anything that you felt like you had to be taught? Not really. No. I mean, I, well... Not taught. I think that I, and I am still learning this, but I, I have to learn how to not catastrophize every um, disagreement or every feeling that comes to me that isn't a 100% joyous one. You know, I, I always thought that I was above the sort of white knight narrative and thinking that of relationship was going to improve my life. I don't think I thought it was going to improve my life, but I thought that I had struggled so long to find it that once I did, it would just be perfect <laughs> or easy. And, um, you know, I just, I was naive about what it really means to spend that much time with someone and still be happy, but still have days where you're just like, ugh, like I just, I don't feel good today. I don't feel, this is not my favorite thing that's going on today. And I think early on I would really get very nervous about that because I was putting a lot of pressure on both of us. I've never heard the word catastrophe turned into a verb. I don't know if it's real. I feel like it <laughs> I is. I feel like it's very descriptive. I feel I understand. like my mom accuses me of it. <laughs> so maybe that's where I got it from. <laughs> Your mom coined the term. Yeah. Katie didn't immediately plan on telling her mom that she was dating a woman. She started by telling her coworkers over GChat and her brothers. But then she got a text from her mother. I think after I had had two dates with my girlfriend, she texted me to say that she had a dream 
that I'd met this guy named, like, Jamie or something. And she never really, like, she or my dad never really put pressure on me about dating. They never have been like, when are you going to get married or anything like that. And this text wasn't even that sort of thing, but it just was so eerie to me that I called her right away and was like, I just want to let you know I did meet someone that I like, and it's a girl. And my mom was like, oh. (laughs) And... It was a pretty short phone conversation, I think. And then I had to call back separately later that day to tell my dad. Um, Did your mom tell you that you needed to tell your father? Yeah. Yeah. Because a lot of times with most things, the way it works is it's like telephone tree. I'll tell my mom, she'll tell my dad. But obviously this is like a little different than describing like a day at work or something. So um, I was I was more nervous to call him just because I don't. I never talk about, like, dating or anything with my dad. Like, the last time I remember my dad being aware of who I had a crush on, it was Jonathan Taylor Thomas. (laughs) And he would always be like, he'd always give him other fake names. He'd be like, Jonathan Diller a dollar. And I'd be like, Dad. (laughs) You know, it was, it went well. I, I didn't have anyone react. I almost was a little annoyed that people weren't more surprised. It felt a little anticlimactic. Do you think that you were uncomfortable with men because you were gay? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I feel like that has to be part of it. And instead, now I feel like I can be like, well, I was not pleased with the offerings, you know? Like, I was not into what what I thought was available to me. Are you glad you didn't have sex with men? I mean, I, and that's the thing. It's like, can I even say that? I, I, it's one of those, it's just another dumb classification thing because my girlfriend's like, well, technically that makes you a gold star, which is like a lesbian who's never had sex with men. I'm like, all right, but what is the line? Like, I did stuff. <laughs> like, that's what I, I still can't talk about it. So there's the Midwestern still there. I'm like, I did stuff. You did stuff and you get to be a gold star. Yeah. That's, that's, I like, guess that's, that's the, pretty good. I guess. You feel happy now? Yeah, I do. I still get stressed a lot, but I, I feel at ease in a way that I have not felt in a really long time. I just spent so long feeling like there was something wrong or missing or something that I had to get done in order to move forward with my life. And now I sort of just feel more content to live in the present. Yeah, or a little less um, feeling of, like, gripping with all of your might to try to figure out something that you haven't sorted through. Yeah. I don't feel so compelled to ask everyone else what's going to happen to me because I will, I'll find out what's going to happen to me. That's Katie Haney. Her novel, Dear Emma, came out earlier this spring. And her memoir of not dating, at least up until she was 25, is called Never Have I Ever.
Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios. The team includes Katie Bishop, Chester Jesus Soria, Emily Botin, Andrew Dunn, and Rick Kwan. Our interns are Carson Frame and Brandy Gonzalez. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. I'm on Twitter at Anna Sale. The show is at Death, Sex, Money. And if you like the show, please go to iTunes and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show. Katie Haney has figured out a lot of things in the last few years, but that hasn't made the prospect of turning 30 any easier. It's scary in a way that I didn't really anticipate. Like, I thought that I would be very cool about turning 30 because I'm a feminist and I I don't care about aging or wrinkles. And then, of course, it happens. Like, this year I was compelled to buy eye cream, and that upset me. I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. Thanks so much for listening to this special feed, The Sound of Pride, Stonewall at 50. If you like what you hear, you can find more coverage from WNYC by visiting wnyc.org slash stonewall50.